DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined by David Locke. His weekly appearance brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Oh, it's my friend David James. I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. How's my friend Patrick Kinahan? He's trying to get through today till 10 o'clock and see what happens after that. Uh, did you get did you get rained on yesterday, or did you decide to pass on your golf addiction for a day? Uh, it didn't rain as hard as we thought. So, no, I did not pass. <laughs> I'm good. Like day ends in line. I know where Patrick is. And at what time? I know. I don't need that. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> 10 o'clock, Sports <laughs> Illustrated. Okay. The phone now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All right, so... Uh, it makes it a hundred times worse, by the way. I want to point that out. The Clippers, moving right along. The Clippers, down 0-2, win game three. This script has now been followed precisely in three consecutive series. Do you believe the Clippers are ultimately going to win this series? You know, I think Phoenix is pretty solid, and it's hard to believe that Phoenix would lose four out of five, and I thought the exact same thing about the Jazz. So, um, And I probably thought, thought the exact same thing out of Luka. Um, I, I do think, and I've thought this the whole year, you know I've said this multiple times in the show, the Clippers are the best team, were the best team in the West. I thought so all year. The data um, really showed it. That if you, you know, got into the minutes played with players that um, – that we're going to play in the playoffs. They were the best team in the league. So it's, you know, do I think they're better than Phoenix? Four out of maybe. I mean, there were some numbers in the game yesterday that were Phoenix only took 12 shots at the rim for the entire game. Like, that's not great. Um, Phoenix's uh, shot quality is crazy low, like almost so low. I'm not sure they can survive in this series. Um, their offensive rating maxed out last night. I think they were under a point of possession. Um, and it, you know, the, they didn't make shots. They they were below their shot quality, but the shot quality they got last night was particularly low for um, a playoff game. I, I I do think they're going to have a hard time scoring, and so we saw the Clippers kind of do the exact same thing that they did to the Jazz, if I'm correct on that, was kind of spread the floor and just drive it. Um, and so we'll see how they deal with that. Did the Clippers show us anything in terms of Jazz weakness that they really need to address, or what did they show? So, I think the Clippers exposed both of our weaknesses. And then I think the next question is whether or not you can actually be a team without weaknesses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. And as I've digested what happened to the Jazz in that series more and more, and kind of looked at the league and a bigger picture, I'm actually siding a little bit on that this is just a game of trying to get through the playoffs without facing the team that can actually get you. So, like, had we played Denver, even with Murray, I do think if Denver had had Murray, they might have won it. But they would have exposed or caused us problems in a different way with the fact that Jokic pops and Rudy has to go with him. It does this, It's the same phenomenon. Um, you know, the Clippers did it. Our weaknesses, and we've known it all year, if Rudy's not on the floor defensively, we're a terrible defensive team. Okay, that's fine, because we're a brilliant offensive team. That's That was the switch that was made in a bunch of moves over the last two years. And Rudy proved, we they proved that if you have Rudy and a great and a bunch of not particularly good off- defensive players, 
and you play a system that you can be the number one defense in the NBA. And the problem is the minute someone eliminates either Rudy or the system, and the Clippers were able to do it, right? They spread the floor, they went five wide, and they just drove it. And so there it is. There's the weakness. Um, but Phoenix wouldn't have been able to do that unless they were willing to take DeAndre Ayton off the floor. And, you know, frankly, Denver can't really do the same thing. Um, they could do it differently, but they can't really do it. You'd actually have you'd have Rudy guard Aaron Gordon and have somebody guard Jokic, and then you're playing tight on everything and switching on all. Oh, that if Jokic gets in the paint, then you bump Rudy over. Like, it's not the same thing. So the Clippers were the team that could do that to the Jazz. Um, and so, yeah, that's the weakness that was exposed. And now how dramatically do you go deal with that? I'm, I'm actually getting less, less dramatic every day on how, you know, be nice to have more guys who can guard the ball, but I don't want less guys that can shoot. So to the point that uh, you, they're not good defensively, but offensively they're brilliant. If Donovan been, had been healthy, I mean, he was brilliant at, on, on one leg at 39 points, nine rebounds, nine assists. If he had been healthy, PK and I have gone round and around about this. If he had been healthy, would he have gone for 50 and covered up all the defensive issues because there would have been buckets that stopped the run? It would have been a little better for the defense. The Clippers wouldn't have been running off a long missed three. They would have been taking the ball out of the net, all that stuff. Would that have mattered if Donovan had been a little better because he'd been a little healthier? Recognizing he was already awesome, so you're you know, cranking awesome all the way up to 11 because 10 isn't loud enough. Cameron Payne had 29 the other night, right? Yeah. Yeah, so Donovan could have had 50. <laughs> Um, No, I think it's a great point. Had we been a little healthier offensively so that what they were doing to us defensively didn't cause us the same amount of problems, um, then, you know, then maybe, you know, you're taking the ball out of the basket more and and impacting. Their half-court offense was pretty good against us, though. I hate to – like, I think that was the – the the bummer to me of the series was we were the number one half court defense in the NBA for the year, and um, and you know they they got us in half court. I mean they really got us. Like of of our games all year, game three was our worst defensive night of the year. Game four was our third worst defensive night of the year. Game five was going into game game five was our seventh worst defensive night of the year. And quite honestly, I haven't checked, but I'm going to guess that. You know, I actually should redo that. I haven't. I just realized I hadn't done the last game of the year, so I'm pretty certain Game Six was our worst defensive game of the year. Game Three was our second worst. I mean, they really, they really blew us up defensively. They, we did not have any se- sequence of an answer to them at all. Um, and so, is there something you can do with roster versatility? But <clears throat> all those things with like roster versatility and things of that nature, you know, you better make sure you don't end up in the middle of the road. That's that's the only thing I'll say. Like, if you look at, you know, the teams that got knocked out a little earlier than everybody expected this year um, and, and those kind of things, you know, they pretty universally are teams that either were really bad in one category. Brooklyn was not very good, you know, defensively, and Philadelphia had some issues, and the Lakers were terrible offensively. I know they were injured, but they still had major flaws. So if you go look. All those teams were had, you know, were not good at something. Really, not good at something. We we're, we better be careful that we suddenly don't take away, you know, address a issue. You're, you're you are playing a little bit of whack a mole here. You're just not going to be able to address all issues. 
With new ownership, how aggressive do you think they'll be in addressing whatever issues they decide to address? I mean, I thought they were pretty aggressive with old ownership. I don't think there's ever been a, a lack of aggressiveness out of... Oh, I'm not saying that, but I, it's yeah. new. I don't know. Oh, I mean, I, my concern would not be... So I don't have a concern. Let me rephrase that. But, like, if we're asking it in, like, do you have a concern? So my answer is no. Um, Ryan's pretty bright, and I think we'll, you know, we'll do... We'll allow the basketball people to do what the basketball people do, and we'll we'll be heavily involved, but we'll... Um, but I like young owners are often overly aggressive, not underly aggressive and then have a long-term ramification, but I'm not sure we can be overly aggressive right now. Frankly, you know, what do we have a two, two year window here before Donovan now has all the keys to the kingdom to decide what he wants to do. Well, in a way, he already kind of has him <laughs> because well, we know. Key, once you know that someone's the kingdom right now, but he doesn't have the he doesn't have the the exit sign. Right, right. Yeah, in two freedom. years, he adds the key to get out. Yeah, yeah. But we all know he's going to have that. I don't think anyone really doubts how good he's going to be in two years. Right. So everything, all decisions are being made, knowing that that moment is coming. Yes. Because it's very so, clear it's coming. <laughs> so I don't think I don't think there's much of a chance we'll be under underly aggressive. I mean, it's this is you know maybe esoteric and boring, um, but I mean, so first thing you do is you question everything, right? That's what you're supposed to do as an organization. So why did this happen? What's our strengths? You do all the questions. You can come to a conclusion that we need to do X. But if you can't do it because either it's not available, uh, salary cap, trade partners, whatever other reason, it doesn't matter that you came up with the answer that this is what we have to do. It has to be something that you actually can execute as a front office in the landscape of a league that actually is not built to just help you. Right? As a company, this is where sports are so different. If, If Ryan or is built with Qualtrics and Balmer, Microsoft and Joe side, any of his companies are building their company. And they're like, wow, we really have a marketing product. We did a survey in our marketing product, ironically enough with Qualtrics, uh, you're, you're doing a survey and we have these, products. you can now institute a program inside your company to address that issue. You can hire personnel. You can do like, there's nothing restricting you as a company from building this correctly in the NBA. There's 28 teams restricting you from doing what you want to do to fix your team. They have no interest in you executing that plan. So the thing the Jazz do control is what do they do with their free agents with uh, Conley and Niang? Where where do you think that is going, and where do you think those should go? And those may not be the same thing. Obviously, they might be. I mean, I think the likelihood is, every, you know, Mike's a wonderful teammate. Everyone loves having him around. He's a great player. He was maybe the best player in the Memphis series. He um, was incredibly important to the franchise. We saw how important it was to not have him. So I think in all of those sense, you know, in all of those ways, I would expect if Mike wants to come back, the jazz will try to see if they can bring Mike back. That gets hard on the luxury tax. But again, I, I don't have a feeling that that's an, you know, it's got to be a big issue because it's a huge luxury tax, and let's not be crazy. But I don't have a feeling that that's prohibitive, like ending the conversation before it starts. I do think it's worth like understanding 
from a fan base standpoint that if you do think if you're one of those that thinks the roster has to get shook up because they lost to the Clippers, so the we don't can't trade our draft pick till after we take it. We don't have free agent space. We don't have the mid-level exception because we're a tax team. So the mid-level we have is actually lower, which makes it really hard to sign any type of quality free agent. So your moves are your trade to, to alter your franchises. You're trading in alphabetical order in no particular interest of this, but you're, you are trading either Boyan, um, Jordan, um, uh, Favors, Ingles or O'Neal in alphabetical order. If you run around the NBA and find out that for any of those five, you are not getting what you would want or what would change the roster, your final piece to do that is a sign and trade with Mike Conley. And that one you don't control very well because he chooses the team and you then have to see if there's anyone on the roster. And the only way you have any leverage is if that team has no space. And so he wants to go play for the Lakers and about their point guard situation, and um, they have they lose some leverage. The only way they can get them is on a sign and trade with you, and you decide you want Kyle Kuzma. I have no idea. I just made that up. But like, that's the final piece of how we can change our roster. If you've run around the league and not got any traction or anything that you like on your first five possibilities, then the only other way you do it is in a sign and trade with Mike Conley. So I just while I think all signs point to Mike returning, that does need to be understood that if you also are one who thinks the roster needs to change, that's one of the ways in which you can do it. And if you've done your homework, which this group always does, then that's you might end up with that decision. Do they have anything that they can develop beyond what they've already developed out of the Slulos guys on the bench? Um, you know, Jarrell shot 40% from three. Mia's second half was not great, um, but he's shown some signs. Um, Jawan Morgan seems to have a knack to be in the right place at the right time and have some, you know, um, Azubuke has unbelievable, natural, physical, powerful skills, um, you know, he would be he would be in a worse shape than Rudy was if a team plays five out. Um, I do think we have to have a five out answer. My my expectation is that this league is two or three years away from everyone having five players you can shoot, unless you know. I think you'll have outliers like a Rudy Gobert, who, if you're completely awesome at everything else you do, you can get away without shooting. But you know, Zubak down to 14 minutes in every playoff game. Or I think he played 34 last night and was really impactful because they have Aiton. Um, but in a lot of cases, you're seeing circumstances where, you know, a five that's not overwhelmingly great at everything else they do is going to have a hard time making the floor. So, um, yeah, I don't, you know, those are, those are the choices, right? They've done a great job of finding someone out of Europe. Um and, you know, this was a funky COVID year in that regard, so can they find the next European player um, or American player that's been in Europe for two years and find them there? Um, and then I'm a, you know, one thing we have not gone into in the past, um, if you want athletes, this is something you can do. It doesn't, it's not always work, but there's kind of a phrase in the league called the second draft. And so most players don't get drafted to a place where they have a very good fit, and it doesn't work out for most players. And so can you go find the guy who was the 15th pick of the draft two years ago whose team can't figure out how to use him, and you can find a way to use him? 
Cam Reddish, um, you know, types, they, they often are elite level athletes who can't shoot. And um, that's usually the book on them. And then the question is whether we can develop one of them into a shooter. David Locke joined us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Um, is it, uh, do you think it's possible for the Jazz going forward to hit on the buyout market? Because it looks like the buyout market has really worked for the Clippers, right? Landon, Red, Landon Reggie Jack, Jackson and Nicholas Batum, those are, those are huge wins for them. And I don't know if they'd won the series without those guys. I kind of think they wouldn't have. Do you think the Jazz get more active in that? And I mean, I know they brought in Ilya Sova. It's kind of that kind of deal. But the you talk about the second draft. But what about the veteran guy who's thirty one, thirty two, and has a skill or two, or was cast as a star somewhere, couldn't carry the team, but is really good as the third or fourth option? So it sounds as though we made a run at Nicholas Batum, right? That yeah. That Rudy got on the line and tried to talk Nicholas Batum into going, and he'd rather go to L.A. Um, can't blame him. That turned out to be a pretty good situation. He's probably their most valuable regular season player. Reggie Jackson's been an incredible find for them. You know, what that one is is exactly what you're talking about there, David. That's the player who had Oklahoma City was disgruntled. And, I mean, gosh, do you remember his exit out of Oklahoma City? You've very rarely seen, like, other players on the roster be like, let the door hit you on the, you know, on the backside, right? Like, they, they were torching him on the way out. Players were. It was crazy. But he was so insistent that he wanted to be the man. Then he went to Detroit became the man, and it wasn't that great. Like, he averaged 19.6 points a game, but they didn't win a lot. Um, and so his ability then to roll into this kind of complimentary, hey, I'm a elite-level spot-up shooter player, if the Clippers knew he could do that, that's a great job on their part. Um, that's not the most common script that they could do it. Like, Nicholas Batum went just back to being the Portland Batum they'd already shown he could be. Um, and certainly was important. The, the other one that's interesting here a little bit, David, that the Jazz have not done, um, and I, I've always thought that, you know, I, I've understood why 100%. This makes, it makes a great deal of sense. What the Jazz have not done, and it's, it's a really easy way to destroy your locker room, is have veterans on the end of your bench who think they should play. Uh, the Jazz have done that. You just have to go back a long time. Right, but th- this iteration of the Jazz No, this iteration, so, no. I'm going way back. Right. I mean, what Houston, what Phoenix has done, and and, and I will um, let me say something before I get into this too deeply. I really believed in this COVID year that ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen on your roster was going to be this crazily important thing. I couldn't have been more wrong. Like one through eight still dictates everything. The Jazz pay more money for six, seven, and eight on their roster than I think any other team in the NBA. And I think that's the right way to do this. So let's make sure we're clear on that because one through eight is what dictates whether you win or lose. Both the Clippers and the Suns have done something interesting, which we, you know, look at and decide whether you, they've taken players like Langston Galloway, Reggie Jackson, Etwan Moore, Frank Kaminsky, um, I don't even know who else is on the edge of the Clippers bench, Luke Kennard at times when he didn't play, and taken, who's actually young, he's 24, and taken players who've played in the league that are veterans and put them on the end of their bench. Now, that's a hard thing to do because if, in, if they're not playing Rajon Rondo, um, they can be really disruptive. And supposedly Rondo was very disruptive in our series uh, after game two. 
they can be really disruptive, and you have to be really careful on that. Credit to Monty Williams and Tyron Lue and the Clippers for somehow getting players and the Suns who, who didn't get disruptive. But that's also the other way you do that is if you're, is you take those veterans who didn't work out, like you're saying, you have them on the end of the bench, and if they get an opportunity, maybe they can show something you didn't know before. Reggie Jackson, DNP, plenty of games, I think, after he came from Detroit to L.A. Um, in that process. Rondo's not in the rotation every game, right? And so... Um, you know, and, and you know, I think the Clippers extinguished their personality problems over the last year that have helped them out a great deal. So it, it has to do with personality, but it's a very, very risky thing to do, and it's not something we've done, right? Like our eight veterans were our eight-man rotation this year, and then, and then after that we had, we had youth, and so you didn't have anyone disrupting the locker room, and that's usually the way to do it. He's David Locke. He joins us every week. Breaking down the NBA, the draft, free agency. Hey, do you have a date on the start of free agency? Is it August one? We were debating that so. the other day. Yeah. I think so. I think. I mean, I think the. I, I would suspect as much only because it's the fiscal. It also, is the fiscal year. Yeah. Right, and so if you didn't, you wouldn't want to start the fiscal year on anything other than the first. Okay. All right, David. We appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again in a week. See you. DJ and PK coming up. The Clippers getting off the mat. We got a lot of reactions from you. We will get to that coming up. Stay with us. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.